Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this episode, Pastor Billy begins a series based out of the Lord's Prayer on what authentic prayer looks like. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. things and then I'm going to I'm going to share. I uh want to just I want to just make mention that um my antenna is up. Like I feel like the Lord just just he is winking. That's the difference between speaking. You wink with your eyes. She just winked at me. Nice. You wink with your eyeball, you speak with your mouth. But uh your eyelid, I should say. But here's the thing. The Lord will give little hints about things from time to time. And it's, I like to call them bread crumbs, or I like to call them like he's winking at you. And um, yeah, bread crumbs, like he's just showing you, hey, this is the right path. And uh, I would just say that over the last, well, last week and the last couple weeks, it's evident to me that the Lord is stirring a few things. And, um, and so there's something that I always uh, take notice of when God's moving, and it's when the Holy Spirit is moving atmospherically. And what I mean by that is when he's just touching people around the room without anybody sort of praying for them or, you know, because it's awesome to pray for people, right? And people can get touched when they get prayed for, like Acts 19 they called the apostles, they went down to Ephesus, they laid hands on people, the people received the Holy Spirit when they laid hands on them. It was awesome. And it says in Acts 19 that the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out yet. It literally, they needed the apostles to come down and lay hands on people so the power of God would, was, would be poured out and hit everybody. But in Acts 2 and in Acts 10, in both of those you know, moments and moves of the Spirit, Holy Spirit started moving powerfully before anybody prayed for anybody. Acts 2, it says that the Holy Spirit, the first a sound like a mighty rushing wind filled the whole place where they were all seated, and then fire appeared, and it broke out, and it landed on each person, and then they all spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It just happened atmospherically, just the whole, the whole room. He just poured out his power in the place. And then in Acts 10, Peter is in Caesarea, and he is preaching to a bunch of Gentiles. These are, you know, the first Gentiles to hear, like, the gospel. And while he's speaking, the power of God hits the whole place. And they all get filled with the Holy Spirit, just like the guys did in Acts chapter 2. And in both those situations, it was atmospheric. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Like, it was just the Lord coming in the room. Tonight, in worship... Uh, I don't know if you, if you sensed it, but what I did, when they started going into the, into the sort of the worship jam that they were in, it was like I felt the room get, I felt the air get thick in the room. Anybody else feel that? I mean, if you did, just stick your hand up. It's okay if you didn't, but yeah, so many people felt something shift, right? What was interesting was we were singing a song uh, about shifting the atmosphere, Yes, something's changing in the spirit. So we're singing that song, 
But while we're singing that song, nothing's really shifting. And then they start prophesying on the instruments is really what it was. I was going to say jamming out in the spirit. But they're prophesying on the instruments, and it started, the whole atmosphere started shifting. So, you know, you can prophesy with your voice. You can speak prophecy. You know, you can sing prophecy. You can play prophecy in music. Do you know you can dance prophetically? Did you know you can paint prophetically? Did you know you can video and take pictures prophetically? Did you know you can graphic edit and video edit prophetically? You can do all the things. You can sculpt. You can do wire things. You know how they do the strings and all the wire things? You can do all that prophetic. It's all, the prophetic is just the Lord expressing himself. That's what prophetic is. But the point I want to make is, just like tonight, how we felt kind of the atmosphere begin to move, we felt like the room kind of, to me, it just felt like the air got thick. That's what all I can say. It just felt like it got thick. But even last week and even the week before, and this is, this is significant to me, uh, the Lord began to move on people in powerful ways to where they're physically experiencing manifestations of the Holy Spirit for ongoing periods of time. Not for like, oh man, I, I felt like a, a chill, I got trembles, I got goosebumps, but like two hours worth. And, um, and I was talking to somebody that was here last week, and, and they were saying, I started trying to get up at the end of the service, and I couldn't get up out of my chair. And they just felt heavy and felt like they couldn't move. Well, here's the thing. So th again, this is another just a breadcrumb. So the Hebrew word for glory is kabod. It means, it means weight. That's right. It's one letter different from the word for the liver. The liver is the most dense, heavy internal organ. So the glory is the depths of God, and it's the weight of God. When you, when you experience God's glory, you can sometimes you'll feel heavy. You'll, you'll feel physically weighted down. How many has ever seen somebody get prayed for or get touched by the Lord, and they fall, and they, they're stuck? And I'm not talking about like, okay, I'm falling, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm talking about like, you know, they get blasted, and they're maybe on the ground, and they can't get up. Have you ever seen that? Well, there's a, you know, there's a little hamburger helper version of it, you know, where it's like, I feel a little wobbly. I'm going to go ahead and just go on down because I saw it on Pentecostal TV. Or there's the other version where God blasts somebody, and they literally don't, their legs buckle, and they get heavy. And I've, I've, I've had this experience couple dozen times where the person's on the ground, you know, let's say, let's say it's a 150-pound person, and there's people trying to get them up off the ground, and they cannot physically get them up because the weight of God is on them. And I'm, I'm like, not adding any sauce and not exaggerating, but I've literally seen a 125-pound girl laying there under the presence of God with two, you know, 190-pound dudes pulling her arms, and they cannot get her off the ground. Because she's so heavy with glory. Um, I've seen people stuck in their chairs for hours. 
I've seen people stuck in the ground for hours. I've seen people, without people touching them, get up out of their car, walk before they can get into a building, fall out, and be stuck in a parking lot during the whole service because glory is hitting, okay? That's what I mean when I'm talking about atmospheric presence, okay? I've seen it where it's hit the room and literally five, six, seven, eight people start manifesting, demons start flying out of people. That's glory hitting, okay? I love that. That's, to me, that's the best because there's no, there's no like, there's no like conditioning, right? Like if, if I'm praying for you and I'm like, man, God's going to touch you, fire's going to come on you, like, you know, I can be conditioning you psychologically and all those things and people, people that like have a problem with the Holy Spirit moving, they say, oh, you conditioned them. I love it when nobody's getting prayed for and Holy Spirit is blowing the room open. Does that make sense? All right, I'm sharing all that to say this, that in the last several weeks, there's been these little testimonies, just these little things, little breadcrumbs, where the Lord has been ministering to people and it's been atmospheric. It hasn't been just somebody praying for people. People get touched when people pray for them. I think we should do that. I think it's awesome. But it's been more atmospheric where Holy Spirit's just moving in power and resting on people. And when that begins to happen, uh, it's kind of like the cat is out of the bag. Anything can happen. And so the last several weeks, um, I've been getting little testimonies from people. They're just like, yeah, this is what's happening to me. And it's not like anybody conditioned them. We didn't tell them if you're in there that God's going to do this to you. But God's doing things to people that's touching them in a dramatic and profound way. For me, that makes me really hungry. Because I want to see God do dramatic and profound things. How many want to see God do dramatic and profound things? Like for real. I want to see that. And so um, that's got me encouraged. The other thing I want to say, and I've said it twice now, I once I put it in the group me and then I said it in worship, but I want to say this again. Look at me right here. If you've, if you've been hungry for the Lord and you've been praying and you're asking God for revival and you're saying, God, move in power, and you have that temptation to say and think, well, I've been praying for a long time and it hasn't happened yet. That is the devil. That is so easy to discern because what he's trying to get you to do is pull your faith off of your prayers and get you to quit. And it's literally what we talked about last week. Jesus said men ought to pray always and not faint. Are y'all here with me tonight? Y'all got that quiet vibe. It's a cool. Let's make sure we do caffeine every single night, okay? No decaf. Uh, but if you've ever thought, I've been praying a long time and I haven't seen what I'm praying for, you've ever had that thought, and so then the temptation is, so you should just give up. If that's been in your thoughts, I'm telling you, that's the enemy, all right? We press in until. We pray until. We don't give up. 
We lean in, we press in, we believe God for breakthrough. You know, and here's the thing you gotta catch. That desire that you have to believe God for something to change, to, to pray and to press in and to believe God for breakthrough, that desire that you have, that is the gift. That's the gift. Because people don't seek God on their own. If you're being drawn to seek God, that's God doing that to you. Am I making sense? So recognize that, that hunger is the gift. Hunger is the gift. And here's what hunger does. It escorts you into intimacy with God, which that's the reward. Are y'all feeling me? Intimacy with God is the reward. Revival isn't the reward. Revival is a blessing, but revival isn't the reward. Intimacy with Jesus, that's the reward. Man, I'm preaching so much better than y'all are amening. Y'all are trying to get me to stare at you and pause. You're working me right now, people. But catch that, okay? Revival is a blessing. I saw that. Thank you. Revival is a blessing. Intimacy with God is the reward. Okay? So when you're stirred and you're hungry, that's a gift from God. Don't take that lightly. Seriously, don't take that lightly. That is precious in the earth. Do you know how, many, how few people, do you know how, many, how few Christians are stirred and hungry for God? Christians. I mean, so many Christians just go through the motions. They just show up, do their religious duty, check out for the rest of the week, come back, do their religious duty, just go through the motions. If you're genuinely hungry on the inside, you want God to move, that only comes from God. That is, oh, that's so important. Don't get it twisted, okay? So if the promise is delayed and the prayers seem like they're taking a long time to answer, that's when you lean in and press in for the breakthrough. And the fact that the enemy's telling you to give up, gosh, that's always a sign that you're just on the edge. How many has ever been tempted to give up? Yeah. That's because the enemy's a liar. The devil is a jerk face. <laughs> jerk. All right, that was all free of charge. I'm not charging anybody for that because that's not even my message tonight. It's just me saying things. I love you guys. Y'all are super easy to preach to. Let's get it. Let's get it tonight, all right? Put a little draw on this, okay? You can do it quietly, but just draw it. Just draw on it. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. I'm asking for the spirit of revelation. Drop on this room. Surprise us. Surprise us tonight. Come, spirit of the living God, teach us. You're the teacher. Teach us tonight. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. All right, so um, Tuesday I come in the prayer room and I sit down and in 30 seconds, the Lord breaks down a scripture for me that I wasn't even thinking about, hadn't thought about it that morning, hadn't thought about it in months and months and months, breaks it down for me and gives me an entire series in about 30 seconds. Glory to God. So 
I'm going to start a series tonight called Teach Us to Pray. Teach Us to Pray, okay? Um, and I'm going to base it out of the Lord's Prayer. How many know the Lord's Prayer? Pretty much everybody? Cool. I've been praying the Lord's Prayer since I used to go to Methodist Church when I was about eight years old. We used to pray it all together. In fact, in the Methodist Church, we did it every single week. Did anybody come up in one of the churches where they say the Lord's Prayer every single week? Just curious. And it's like everybody together. It's kind of cool. It's, after a while, you're like, oh, this is just that spot in the service. But I used to like that spot in the service because I actually knew the words. It was awesome. And I also remember growing up and being on, like, you know, Little League football and being on football teams. And I had football coaches that had us say the Lord's Prayer before every game. And I didn't know why we were saying it. I just thought, man, if we say this prayer, maybe nobody's going to get, like, really bad hurt. So we did. We just said the Lord's Prayer. All right, let's try it. Let's just do it all together. Ready? One, two, three. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. <laughs> I did it wrong. That's epic. Give us this day our daily bread. No, I did it right. And for, for oh, you know what? Debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But I was in King James, wasn't I? Good God, I don't even know the Lord's Prayer. Jesus, help a brother out. Lord, i got to preach this thing tonight. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. I swear I know the Lord's Prayer. But y'all have it on video and everything tonight that I don't. <laughs> okay. So that's Matthew 6. The reason why we know that's Matthew 6 was because that's how it's written in Matthew 6. But how many of you know that the Lord's Prayer shows up two times in the New Testament? Can anybody name the other location? Okay, it's in Luke. Close. She said Luke 12. No, don't. You're searching. She's like trying to search. Like Luke 11. Luke 11. Now, here's an interesting point. Matthew 6 and Luke 11 happen about a year and a half to two years apart from one another. Okay? So it's two different times. Um, oftentimes, when you see Jesus repeating himself in the New Testament, oftentimes it's the same exact moment. And then there's other times when it's actually him saying the same thing on a different occasion. Okay? This is one of those times where he's saying the same thing on a different occasion. And that shouldn't seem too odd for us because if you took any of my teaching, I probably said the same thing tonight that I said two weeks ago. And so you could imagine Jesus in different places, different times, all over, you know, Judea, all over that whole region. He's teaching a whole bunch of different crowds. He's definitely saying some of the same stuff multiple times. Well, the Lord's Prayer is one of them. Now, here's the thing. In Matthew 6, that's in Jesus' first public sermon. What's that called? Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's Jesus' first public sermon. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he's laying out, really, he, he's laying out a sermon that he's going to preach from for the next three years. 
all of his teachings, all of his parables, you can draw them back to the Sermon on the Mount. So in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. He goes, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he breaks it down for them right there in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. But when you fast forward to Luke 11, like I said, we're about a year and a half to two years later, the disciples, they asked Jesus a question. So let's just pick up the story in Luke 11, verse 1. Look at it on your devices, okay? Luke 11, verse 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Super interesting to me. Lord, teach us to pray just like we saw John teach his disciples to pray. What were they doing? They're looking at Jesus' life. They were seeing Jesus' manner. They were noticing that Jesus would draw away from the crowd for long periods of time, and he would seek the Lord, sometimes even all night. And they saw something about Jesus that drew them, and they you know, drew them to want to ask Jesus, teach us to do what you're doing with the Father. We want to have that same style of relationship that you've got with God. We want that. Teach that to us. Let me ask you something. Do you have people in your life, I don't count, do you have people in your life you look at and you think, uh, man, I'd really like to have a prayer life like that, like that person. Man, that, that person's prayer life really inspires me. You answered real quickly. You said, yes, yes, yes. I struggled with that, honestly, because if I'm being honest, most people's prayer lives don't inspire me, if I'm just being honest. I, it's, it's rare that I've come in contact with people that, I mean, there are people that are deep in God, they've got revelation in the word, but it's rare that I've come in contact with somebody that when they close their eyes and open their mouth, like the hair on my arm stands up. Because I know they're, ta- they're talking to God and God's listening. Do you know what I'm saying? Most people, when I'm around them, their prayer life sounds like they're just reciting something that they memorized or they're pre- you know, speaking into the air or they're like praying so that the person that they're praying for can hear what they're saying. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or that they're praying but they're not really praying, they're just preaching to anybody that's listening. Or the, my favorite is when the guy prays, but he's like, he's not actually praying, he's like telling God things. Father, you know I woke up this morning, God, and you know that when I got out of bed this morning, God, that I just, I looked for my favorite shoes, and God, I couldn't find them. And the devil was after me this morning, God, wasn't he? And, and it's like, what are we doing right now? There's that whole version, then then there's sort of the version of like, you know, it it just feels boring or it feels dead or it feels like, you know, we're praying because you're supposed to pray. I remember when I told my sons, and well, my daughter was there too, when I told my kids, I said, did you know that the Bible doesn't tell us that we're supposed to pray over our meals? They went, we've been lied to. 
I said, yeah, there's no Bible verse. It says give thanks. You can give thanks. Thank you, Lord. And it does say food is sanctified by the means of prayer, but it doesn't require you to pray over every meal. You could be walking through Walmart, grabbing the Pop-Tarts and going, thank you, Jesus, sanctify them. I mean, it could really work that way. I don't know if it works on Pop-Tarts, but there is no Bible verse that says pray over your meals. I like it. It's a nice practice. We like to do it at my family table. We just enjoy that moment. But my point is prayer is something that is so, people repeat what they see, but mostly what they see doesn't inspire me. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's a handful of people that when they pray, I go, oh, my God, they're talking to God. Like, it's evident they're talking to God. And I'm convinced that's what the disciples saw in Jesus. They saw him going away. They saw him getting encountered, you know, and coming away from being in prayer all night and then going out and preaching and teaching with power and you know, anointing on him all day, and then laying hands on all sorts of people. They're all getting healed. Then he's drawing away again and going and being with the Father, and they're going, wait, this, the only way that he can do all that is because he is, he is connected with the Father. And so that's what I'm asking you, like, who have you been around, and you go, man, their prayer life, that challenges me. I, you know, their prayer life moves me. I want to be a person like that. I want to close my eyes and say, Father. I want to say, I want to look at him and say, Abba. That's, that's just the, the word that says, that's the daddy word. I don't like particularly people calling God daddy. It's a little, it's me. But Abba, I like. It's a Bible word. Daddy God gets me a little bit sometimes. And just, that's just me. You do you. But. Anyway, uh, Abba, I'm down for. And, but I want to be able to say, Abba, just keeping it real, guys. I'm just keeping it real. I want to say, Abba. And when I say that, I don't want it to feel like I'm shooting a cannonball into the sky. I want it to feel like he's sitting right there in the chair next to me. And... You know, I think, for me, that's mostly my experience of it. It's about intimacy. And so that, let me just say a few things about prayer. And then I want to talk about this Lord's Prayer, and, and then we'll be done tonight. Prayer doesn't even start with us speaking. Prayer doesn't start with us speaking. It starts with us seeking. Prayer starts with listening and beholding and seeking, not with speaking. And the Lord's Prayer lays that out for us really, really clear. I'll show it to you in just a second. Prayer, it's a conversation that is the product of intimacy. Okay, the product of intimacy. And the, the, the thing about intimacy is intimacy is knowing right? I'm intimate with you. You're intimate with me or whoever you're intimate with because of knowledge of one another. Isn't that right? Isn't that where we get intimacy? It's because I've got, I've got knowledge of you. You've got knowledge of me. Now we can be intimate. So prayer is the product of 
intimacy. It's a conversation that's the product of intimacy. And, and with, like, my wife, who I'm the, that's the most person I'm the most intimate with, she and I have conversations that it's just none of your business, right? And, and that's because we have a special place together. If you showed up to me and you said, hey, so what are you talking to your wife about? I'm like, just go away. You're weird. Like, that's, that's my spot with her. Do you see what I'm saying? Because we're intimate and we have knowledge of each other. That's what prayer is. Prayer is conversation that's the product of intimacy. I appreciate the guys that say, hey, just talk to God like he's your friend. I really, really, really appreciate that. But you can't talk to someone like he's your friend if you do not know him. Right? So for most people, the hill is how do I talk to a God that I do not know? And so you end up just sort of like throwing it up in the air and like, I hope somebody's up there is hearing me and I don't know what you're like and I don't know what you like and I don't I hope this is good. Is this right? Like, and so then we're like, well, is it good? Is it right? Am I doing it the right way? I, but I've never asked my wife in a conversation where we were sharing our hearts, am I doing this the right way? Because prayer is birthed out of intimacy. It's communi- communication, conversation, but that of intimacy. And so if I don't know you, it's unlikely I'm going to share many deep things with you. The more I know you, the more I'm going to disclose myself to you. Does that make sense? If you, <laughs> this is my personality type. If you want to throw me off, walk up to me without us knowing each other and ask me what's the dream of my heart. That just doesn't grab me the right way. Like, what's the dream of my heart? What's the dream of your heart? Like, I'm not letting you into that space with me. You know what I'm saying? And if you're one of the what's the dream of your heart people, God bless you. If you're one of the people that gets, like, a little tweaked by that, I just love you. Because you know what I'm feeling. But the more I know somebody, the more I'm just going to disclose myself to them. And so... Here's the thing, you got to catch me right now. If you want one of those great prayer lives by the people, you know, like, like the people that really have that, the path to a great prayer life is the knowledge of God. Do you want a great prayer life? Listen, hear, hear me. Do you want a great prayer life? Or do you want to stay stuck in boring prayer, going through the motions, trying to figure out why someone else is so excited about prayer, and you think it's like, dude, this is dead? Do you, if you want a great prayer life, the path to a great prayer life is going deep in the knowledge of God. Because when you know him, you'll get comfortable with him. And he will, he will disclose himself to you. It's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit does, is discloses God to us. And we disclose ourselves to him. And that's really where prayer, that's, that's where prayer is ignited, is in that place of intimacy. A depth in the knowledge of God will cause you to go deep with God in prayer. So let me be very, very clear. Prayer doesn't start with us. It doesn't start with what we want. It doesn't start with what we need. 
Hear me really, really clearly. Prayer doesn't start with us. It doesn't start with what we want, and it doesn't start with what we need. It starts with who is God, where is God, and what is God like. Feel me on this. Like, for real. Most people think prayer is like offering up your, your, your Christmas list to Heavenly Santa Claus. Like, so many people treat prayer like that. Just, God, will you do this for me? God, will you do this for me? God, will you do this for me? And, it, and it's just like, you don't, you don't even know what this thing is, what this, what this transaction even is. And, and, you know, looking at God in that way, like he's just sort of this cosmic, you know, giver of your requests, it, it really reduces who God even is. You've just made him like a genie in the bottle or a jackpot, and if you're offended with God because he didn't do what you asked, let me ask you something. Who's God in that equation? And if our whole mentality of prayer is, I press the right buttons, I say the right words, I do them in the right order, and then God does supernatural things, that sounds a lot more like witchcraft than it does like Christianity. We're snapping tonight. Okay, I feel you. Okay. Tonight's vibes, got you. That's not what prayer is. It's not saying it the right way, pushing the right buttons, reading the right verses in the right order, and then God, genie in the bottle, does something special for me. That's not what this is. Prayer is conversation born out of intimacy that's born out of knowledge. That's what this is. You gotta catch that. So when we're praying, when we're worshiping, when we're engaging with God, that's about knowing him and then expressing to him the deepest things that are on the inside and pulling on the deepest things that are on the inside of him. So when I'm saying like pull on God from the inside, I'm talking about the yearnings of your heart, the desires that are on the inside and you're drawing on him from in there. Does that make sense? But if you don't know him, you don't even know what to draw on. Okay? So prayer starts with the knowledge of God. All right, so in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, he says, in this manner, pray. Okay? In this manner is not um, memorize this prayer and say it every Sunday at church. And it's, in, in fact, it's not, it's not, he's not saying anything magic about those words. He's not trying to say memorize these words and then repeat them. The idea that we've taken the Lord's Prayer, memorized it, and then repeated it over and over and over and over as some sort of incantation, that's not at all what Jesus was, was driving at. So I'm literally just, you know, firing a missile at historic Christianity, the fact that we've memorized the Lord's Prayer and in certain environments continue to say it over and over and over and over, I'm not saying Jesus, like, hates that. I'm just saying that's not his intention. His intention was he's giving us a format for prayer in this manner. In other words, let me, let me show you what it's like to actually pray. And so then he starts walking us through this interesting 
progression. And the progression of the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's what enables us, like we can take that progression and we can go ahead and apply that to every single prayer environment for the rest of our lives. And it will take you deep into the knowledge of God. It will take you deep in prayer. It will take you to a place of intimacy and disclosure with God. It's, I mean, the whole thing is set up so you can have intimate communion with God, not to memorize it and spit it out at the right time in the service or before the football game so somebody may not get hurt or whatever. I don't know why we did it. We just did. I used to wonder why we were doing that, and, and, and I remember as a little kid, like, this doesn't say anything in here about us, like, scoring more than the other team or not, like, breaking our legs. Like, what is this about? I couldn't even understand. I wasn't saved. I just didn't know what the, why were you doing that? So saying it clearly, the Lord's Prayer is the foundation for every other prayer. Just like the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' foundation for every one of his other teachings, the Lord's Prayer is the foundation for every other prayer. Does that make sense? So, when you're looking at the Lord's Prayer, and I want to just have you look at it, pull it open again in your device, Matthew 6, verse 9. Some of your devices actually have paper in them. That's amazing. Matthew 6, verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. And what he's going to do here is he's going to give us five specific things about God. before he ever gets to teaching them to ask anything of God. There's five specific things about beholding God, seeking God, engaging God. And so he starts with our Father. The first thing in prayer, hear me, The first thing in prayer is, who is he? Who is he? And as I mentioned a moment ago, you're not going to go deep in a conversation with somebody you don't know. You're not going to go deep in prayer with God if you don't know him. Who is he? And I I remember getting stunned as 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 a pastor and a preacher. So I was... 13 years in the ministry, all right, 13 years in full-time ministry, preaching sometimes four and five times a week, all right? And I remember hearing a message about the knowledge of God. And that phrase, it caught me off guard because I thought, huh, that's a sort of a generic phrase, like the knowledge of God. Like, what does that even mean? And they were pulling out so many Bible verses about the knowledge of God, about details about who is God. And about all these things that the scripture says, like in the knowledge of God, like grace is multiplied in the knowledge of God. Uh, like every stronghold is, comes against the knowledge of God. And, and all of a sudden, all these verses 
about the knowledge of God begin to pop off the page at me. And I'm like, huh, this is eternal life, John 17, 3, that you would know Jesus Christ, the knowledge of God. And so all these verses were just popping, popping, popping. And I'm going, I don't think I've ever heard a single, now again, I've been in ministry for 13 years. And I'm going, I've never heard one message on the knowledge of God. I've heard messages on what God wants us to do. And I've heard messages on what God will do in response. And I've heard messages on like the fruit of the spirit and like, you know, Christian disciplines. But I'd literally never heard, this is wild, I'd never heard a message about who God is. It messed me up. I was like, what have I been doing this whole time? I didn't have one, and and furthermore, I'd been in ministry for 13 years. I hadn't preached one message about who he was. I preached about what God will do, what we should do, what it's supposed to look like, how to love, how to give, how to serve, but not who is he. Who is he? Who is God? And Jesus gives us this clean, clean identifier in this prayer. And he says, Father. Now the challenge with that is, as many different people as I have in this room, if I passed out a piece of paper and a pen and I said, what's the definition for Father? I would get as many different definitions as I have people in the room. That identity and that image has been, I mean, it has been attacked, it has been trashed, and not just in your generation, but in the previous two generations. And so we're staring at about 40 years of like the the complete destruction of the father image. In fact, the whole motif about fathers in like, um, popular um, television and like you, you guys know the, the shows I don't know them but like it's always this doofus dork dad who doesn't know Jack how to do anything about anything and it's just and everybody just accepts that's what a dad is he's you know he's just out of touch He's disconnected, he doesn't understand, he doesn't really care sometimes, he tries really hard, but he'll never quite get there, or he's just the worst. He's a cheater, liar, drug, addicted, alcoholic, you know, abuser, whatever, 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 right? The image and the identity of father has been destroyed. Guys, let me help you with something. You want to have a good prayer life? We've got to get that image, that identity built back up. We've got to get it clear about who God is as Father so that when you're saying Abba, when you're saying Father, you're not saying the one who left me and abandoned me, the one who, you know, ignored me my whole life, the one who whatever, whatever, whatever. Am I making sense? Could it be that maybe you have a struggle in prayer because you have a struggle with Father. The first step in having a vibrant prayer life is coming to know who is he. That's why Jesus started it there. 
our Father. I'm going to take a whole message next week. I'm going to talk about who God is as Father. Because I want to get you guys so lit in prayer. Here's the thing that I've realized. Listen, I've been doing, I've been doing ministry um, full time since 1994. What is that? Almost 30 years. Here's what I found. Here's what I found. The key to Christian discipleship is teaching people to pray. It's the key. I can fill you with Bible verses. I literally led a discipleship program where we had um, young people memorize hundreds of Bible verses. I can fill you with Bible verses, but if I don't get you intimate with God, you will not stay close to God. It's teaching people to pray, having an intimate relationship. And the only way I can teach you to pray is getting you to know him. Am I making sense? Can I give it just one or two snaps? Good. <laughs> Our Father gets poetry night. <laughs> so the first, the first step is Our Father. Who is he? Who is he? That's the first step. The next step, Our Father, where is he? Yeah. But what is heaven? Most people, if when I say heaven, you immediately go to clouds and wispy, vapory, ghosty, who knows what. Right? Most people, we go to cartoon land, something floating in the clouds, some cartoon I saw, angel on one shoulder, demon on the other, I'm not sure. Right? We die, we get angel wings, something. That's where most people go. They don't know even what heaven is. What if I told you heaven, well, I mean, it's real, but what if I told you it's physical? What if I told you heaven has space, matter, time, distance, organics, like trees, structure? What if I told you the, the heavenly Jerusalem is as physical and tangible as this room you're in right now. What if I told you it's not wispy, cloudy vapor? Now that changes things a bit, doesn't it? Our Father who is in heaven. So if it's physical and it's real and it's not ethereal and spiritual, then that means he's literally listening right now. And that when I'm speaking to him, he's actually paying attention. And when it says his ear is attentive to the prayer of the righteous, then it means that we're actually having a dialogue. He's not disengaged. He's in a physical, real place actually engaging with me in what I'm speaking to him about. I mean, once you get a picture of where he is and who he is, it dynamically changes the entirety of the way you pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, what's the next line? What does that even mean? Holy, but what does holy mean? Set apart, sanctified, what does it mean to have a set-apart name? 
There's no one like him. That's great. So he's better than everybody because his name is better. Why? What? At some point we go, holy is your name. Your name is set apart and your name, your name, Jehovah, is better than Johnny. And it sort of falls apart for us because we don't really, we don't grasp what he's actually saying. His name and his nature are one thing. When Moses said, I want to see your glory, he says, you can't see my face, but I'll tell you my name. And when he told him his name, he said his nature. Okay? Glory, face, name, nature, they're all interchangeable. So track me. Set apart is your name. It's another way of just saying, you are so different. What you're like is so different. Who he is, where he is, and what's he like. Most people think God is mostly angry, mostly mad, mostly disappointed. Why would you want to talk to a dude who is mostly mad, mostly angry, and mostly disappointed with you? I wouldn't. I'm like, all right, angry, angry, mad, disappointed dude, you stay there. I will head the other direction. We will not have a conversation. But if, if you mostly think God is mostly disappointed with you, you will not pray. Why would you want to be with him? If you think he's mostly cranky, short-tempered, negative, ready to smite you at a moment's notice. He is holy. But is he like standoffish? Is he, a, is he like, you know, unmerciful and, and performance-oriented? And if you don't get it all right, and you don't say it the right way, then he doesn't accept you. Like, what's he like? Who is he? Where is he? What's he like is the next piece. See, when we pray then, this is the process. It's you, Abba. And I'm really talking to you right now. And you really are merciful. And you really are kind. And you really do love me. And here I am. And I love to be with you. It changes the whole pattern. Am I making sense? I'm like, Seth. <laughs> All right. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. What the heck does that mean? It does mean. It means take over. Kingdom, another way of saying that is your reign. Rule and reign. So who is he? Where is he? What's he like? And your reign be established. Rule and reign. Be established here, God. Do you notice that the first thing that we ask in prayer isn't for us? Or is it for us? 
his reign established is the best thing for us. But here's the thing. When you pray, your kingdom come, you know what you're saying? My kingdom go. You can't have your kingdom and his kingdom. It's got to be your reign, your rule, your leadership, your authority. Interesting that Jesus makes the first thing we ask is for God's reign to be manifest. It's the first, that's the first point. It's spiritual warfare. It's literally driving the devil off the earth and ask, invoking God's kingdom to come and manifest in the earth. Your reign. But when we talk about the reign, when we talk about Jesus' kingdom, his reign, what comes to your mind? Because we mostly don't have a tactile picture of this stuff. Now, we've been hitting this a little bit the last several weeks. We've been talking about Israel and Jesus return. He's going to rule and reign on the earth. But most people don't have any picture of the kingdom of God actually coming in a literal, physical way. They think something like Jesus returns and the world ends and it's all over somehow. And then we turn into fat babies, float on clouds, wearing togas, playing harps. And it's just not how it goes. Jesus Christ is going to return. When he returns, he's going to drive the enemy off the planet. He's going to set up his throne in Jerusalem. And all the nations of the earth are going to be streaming to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. He will teach us his ways the Bible says the law will go forth from Zion. He'll teach us his ways. He's literally going to be having teaching meetings, training all the nations how they're to function under the rule and the reign and the leadership of Jesus. This Christianity thing, it goes on for quite some time. Because Jesus is going to reign forever. So the very first Thing that, they, that he teaches us to ask him for is for his reign to be established on the earth. I mean, what? Your kingdom come. Now what's next? Your will be done. So we say, we want your reign to be established and we want your will to be accomplished. So the reign of Jesus, the global rulership of Jesus Christ, did you know you've been asking every time you were praying the Lord's Prayer, you were asking for the global rulership of Jesus Christ to be established across the planet? We were getting ready to play our little football games, our little eight-year-olds. Your kingdom come. I'm like, I don't know how this doesn't keep me from getting a torn ACL, but all right. He's like, I like it anyway. I'll take it. Your kingdom come. And then he goes, your will be done. Everything that you desire, all that you want, the good pleasure of your heart, I want you to do your will. What's wild to me is we've been through five pieces of this prayer, and not one of them is what I want. Not one of them is my will. My Christmas list has not shown up yet. My desires, my bills, my grades, my spouse, my spouse, 
my girlfriend, boyfriend, what I'm looking for in life, my dreams, none of it's there yet. Let me ask you something, though. Let me ask you something. What is occupying your prayer life? What's the orientation in your prayer life? I just want to say this. Like, your prayer life... Let's say it very kindly. Your prayer life may suck because you're not following what Jesus taught when he taught us how to pray. You have ratcheted your desires and dreams up first, and you haven't ever touched the five things that he actually put in place to begin with. Does that make sense? I'm convinced of this. If, if, you, if, you will, if you will just hang in here with me, if you'll lock into this, I guarantee you your prayer life will shift. And I'm, I'm telling you the best thing I can give you is a deep prayer life with Jesus. It's not a million dollars. It really isn't. It, if, if I can get you to where your prayer life is like legit and intimate and you've got a depth, and that when you close your eyes, you know he's there. That is, that is worth more than any dollar figure. And so we say, do your will. Do your will. Let me ask you something. How often when you pray are you asking for your will? Your own will. And it's weird to me that we go, God, do my will. That ain't prayer. Somehow we've made prayer into like, if I can twist God's arm enough and get him to do my thing, I'm going to be really happy. I'll be blessed. If I get to raise the new job, the new car, the straight A's on the test that I didn't study for at all, that's my favorite one. But, you know, God's kind. He'll actually do that for people. And then we hear the one testimony of the person. I go, I didn't even study it. I prayed right before him. I got a hundred. I don't know how to do it. Oh, my God. And we're like, God, give me that anointing right there. Just release it. And then we go, I got a 47. God doesn't love me. No, he literally just blessed that person because he thought he was cute. And you knew better, but you tried the old cute, didn't study anointing, and it didn't work because you're trying to put your will at the top of the prayer chain, at the top of the prayer list, and it just doesn't work that way. Making sense? Now, once we get those five in place, now we turn a corner. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Don't lead us into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Provide for us. Forgive us. Lead us. Deliver us. Provide for us. Forgive us. Lead us. Deliver us. Provide for us. Do you know what? You know why so many people are strung out on, on anxiety right now? Because they're just spending all their energy trying to figure out how they're going to provide for themselves. How am I going to provide for myself? 
How am I going to take care of myself? I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get a job. If I don't have a job, I'm going to have money. I don't have any money. I'm going to buy anything for myself. I'm going to even, I'm going to provide anything for myself. I'm like, bro, stop. And it's like this dog chasing its tail. Just ask him to provide for you. This is literally the stuff Jesus taught. He goes, look at the fields. Look at the flowers. He goes, Solomon, in all of his wealth, never looked as good as that. He goes, how much more will your father take care of you? Oh, you have little faith. Now, I'm not saying you can just be lazy, sit at home, put Netflix on repeat, and be like, provide for me. Start with paying my Netflix bill. Like, you can't do that. There is obedience in love where we follow what he, what he, how he leads. I just want to mention this because it's, it's on my mind right now. In the Sermon on the Mount, there's like 110 verses. 11 of them are devoted to just worry. One-tenth of the Sermon on the Mount is devoted to worry. And it doesn't say you should worry. It literally says, do not worry. But if you got connected with the God who's going to give you his, give you your daily bread, you got knowing him and trusting him and just connecting with him over him, providing, provide for me, Lord. I trust you. Man, it changes the way you look at life. It changes your outlook on everything. Provide for us. Forgive us. It's funny to me how many Christians don't have a repentance life. If you have a problem repenting, if you have a problem ever seeing that you've done anything wrong, if you have a, a problem outing your own sin, man, you need to repent. <laughs> if you have a problem with that, I'm telling you that arrogance is keeping you apart from God. We all fail. We all make mistakes. We all sin. We jack it up. And when we do, we run back to Abba. We say, forgive me. Cleanse me. He, he baked it in to the Lord's Prayer, because we're going to need it that much. Forgive me. So many Christians, it's wild to me. So many Christians, they're like, I just, I just, I blew it, and oh, God hates me now, and ah. Oh. I'm like, dude, no, he doesn't hate you. He knew you were going to blow it. Blow it. Blow it, blow it. He knew that. He's been knowing that for a billion years. He knew that on that day, at that time, you were going to blow that. It didn't throw him off. It didn't make him go, you know, I'm not thinking about doing the cross now. Dude's going to blow it in 2023, that one time. He's going to really blow it. I ain't doing the cross. No. He knew that. He baked it in so that you could run back to him when you fail. Lead us. Don't lead us into temptation. In other words, lead us into righteousness. 
lead us into your path. Lead us into your way. How often do you ask God to lead you? We're going to talk about all this stuff in detail. And deliver us. That deliver us isn't cast the devil out of me. It's keep me from saying yes to the devil. It's the proactive, preemptive deliverance. Not the, you know, break all the strongholds because I got into demonic stuff. He does that too. He does break the strongholds because we get into demonic stuff. But this is keep me out of the ditch. Lead me into righteousness and keep me out of Satan's snares. You know what? The Lord does this for you all the time. And I'm going to close here. You know that funky feeling when you're about to do something really bad? Don't look at me so innocent, people. Come on. I know it's snapping night, but you know that funky feeling you get? You're like, oh, I really shouldn't do this. Oh, but I really want to. Oh, but I feel like I shouldn't. And then you do it, and you're like, oh, oh, that was so dumb. Oh, God hates me. I mean, and like, that's him. Deliver, he's trying to deliver you from evil on the front end. Holy Spirit, he's touching your spirit. He's touching your soul. He's going, uh-uh, don't do that. You won't like the response. You won't like the outcome. He's working on you. Deliver us from evil. Well, there it is. There's the format. I'll post these in the group meet tonight just so you have it clear. And I'm going to work us through the next four or five weeks. We're going to work through each of these. I want to get you a fiery prayer life. I want to get you the knowledge of God. I want to get you discipled in, in being able to come near to Abba and trust and be free and, and have your soul alive. Amen. All right, let's stand. Our Father, let's pray. Our Father, you who dwell between the cherubim, you're so different. You're so good. You're so kind. Lord, we want your reign in our lives. We want your will and your way. Lord, we ask you to provide for our lives. We ask you to lead us. Deliver us. Forgive us. Lord, I'm asking that as we take a few weeks and we look into the details of the Lord's Prayer, that it would revolutionize our prayer lives. So many people discipling so many people in so many things. Who's teaching people to pray? God, we want to learn to pray. 
So Jesus, we say it together. With the disciples, we say it. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. If you just, if you desire that, like I just have a, a, a desire for a, a legit, deep, intimate prayer life, just put your hand over your heart. Teach us to pray, God. Teach me to pray. Just ask Him for your own soul. I want to know who you are, where you are, what you're like. I want your reign and your will. Teach me to pray. Lord, I ask just over these next several weeks, the grace of this, that it would so rest on us, that in gatekeepers, it would so rest on us, that our souls would come alive in the place of prayer. So come, Holy Spirit, I pray we, we have cried out, and we've interceded, and we've desired to be proclaimers. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Just thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next episode.